0: And open your Bible to Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, what we're looking at, have been for the last several weeks. Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you that you you are here, that you hear and you care about what's going on in our lives. We thank you, God, for your word that guides us. Let your spirit be at work in the service tonight to strengthen us, to encourage us, uh, to take the word and make it living and active in our lives, to help us to be the kind of people that you want us to be. Lord, help us to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit, that he would produce this fruit in our lives that would be evident to all the people we encounter, that we are disciples of Jesus and that we follow Him to the best of our abilities. Guide me and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and help me to say what You once said, nothing more and nothing less. I ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Right, tonight we're on through the spirit of goodness. Uh, The study on goodness I found pretty interesting because I, I kind of assumed goodness was like just an inner virtue that was something mostly in us, but didn't have any really outward effects on our life. Turns out I was very wrong. Uh, when I was studying, I found that the kind of goodness the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, it, it actively causes us to be filled with moral excellence, with kindness, consideration for others. Uh, it's an active virtue that leads us to do good for others. And this is true even if they don't deserve it. Goodness moves us to treat others in a way that God would have us to treat them. Those who are filled with the the Holy Spirit's goodness, they won't take advantage of others. And then they also, they won't sit around and let others take advantage of other people either. The goodness the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, it causes us to stand up and defend what is good, right, and just. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit's goodness, they, they won't abide by injustice if they have the ability to do something about it. So a part of what this means is the, the goodness the Holy Spirit will produces in us may at times cause us to confront those who are doing wrong. That, that's an interesting thought uh, to me. Goodness isn't a, a passive indulgence of sin and wickedness in the name of being nice or in the name of not wanting to hurt someone's feelings. Which, again, if you talk to a lot of unbelievers particularly, and if you were to say, hey, that's a sin. They would say, well, that's not nice, and you shouldn't say things like that, and that's not a good thing to say. And yet the reality is, in Scripture, the goodness of God that is in us, that comes out, it does motivate us to confront people about sin and wickedness and wrong in their lives, because that sin and that wickedness is going to bring destruction into their lives, and we want what is truly good for them, and that is Jesus. I I was... Honestly surprised about the active nature of goodness. Uh, As I mentioned in my mind, I basically saw goodness uh, to basically mean moral, to be morally upright and and maybe do good for others. The idea of goodness motivating me to oppose injustice or confront sin was was all pretty interesting. Uh, As I studied, I was reminded of the famous quote by Edmund Burke, all that's necessary for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. Uh, And it would seem that is a pretty accurate statement. And as with all of the other traits that we've looked at and we'll look at until we finish, there are several truths about goodness that we need to know. The first truth is that God is good. Now, this is probably the most obvious truth about goodness that we'll see, but it also may be the most important. And I say this because as children of God, we are supposed to reflect the character and the nature of God to a lost and a dying world. People should be able to look at who we are and how we are, and have some sort of an idea of what God is like. And since, since that is the case, it is very important to us to know the character and the nature of God, that God is good. Not only is God good, but His goodness is active. Right. So God's goodness leads Him to do what is right. The old saying is that power corrupts and absolute power absolutely corrupts. And while this is a well-known and a popular saying, I, I contend it is an inaccurate statement. Power does not corrupt. Uh, instead, power gives corrupt people the ability to do corrupt things. Right when someone rises to power and then begins to be all corrupted, the power did not corrupt them. They were already corrupt in their hearts. They just didn't have the ability to act on that corruption, and power gave them that ability. And and I mention this. The reason this is important is because one of our essential doctrines about God is that God is omnipotent. That God can do anything that He wants to do. So how does God in His omnipotence act? Well, God, good and upright, is the Lord. Therefore, He will teach sinners in the way. But It's God's goodness that enables us to take comfort from God's power. Right? And think, think about it. Think about in a country where there is a, a world leader who has near absolute power. Right? Think about, say, Iraq under Saddam Hussein. He had near absolute power in his country. Did his power bring any comfort to his people? No. Why? Because he was not good. He was a very wicked person. Right? And, and when you read stories like mythological stories of mythological gods... The gods are often powerful, but that power brings very little comfort to the people who worship them or who live in their world. Why? Because the gods themselves are not good. So as we talk about God who can do anything He wants to do, that would be a terrifying concept if God was not good. But since God is good, we can trust that He will always do good what is good, what is upright, what is best. Now, this doesn't mean we always understand everything God does in our world. It doesn't mean we always understand everything that God allows in our world. It doesn't mean we always understand everything God does in our lives or doesn't do in our lives. But it does enable us to take comfort to know that our God is good And He does what is right. It allows us to take comfort in His power because we know that He will not misuse or abuse His power. He will use it to do what is right. This allows us to trust His guidance because the direction He's leading us is always good. This allows us to submit to His discipline because we know it is just and right. God's goodness leads Him to do what is right always. Secondly, God's goodness leads us to repentance. I remember the first time I came across this truth, I was kind of amazed. I had always thought of repentance or being brought to repentance simply by threats of God's judgment. And and truly, that's a real thing. I mean, that's something we do find in Scripture. We also find God's goodness brings us to repentance. Paul says, despisest thou the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now the verse just before this, it ends with Paul asking those who are living in sin and yet condemning others for doing the same thing. He asks them, how, how are you going to escape the judgment of God? And then he says, despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering. not knowing the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And it seems a part of his point with this verse is that they believed God was too good to judge them. They had a mindset that that the goodness of God meant God would not bring judgment upon them. He was just too nice. He was just too good. They mistook the long-suffering of God and not bringing immediate judgment upon them as God excusing their sin, as God accepting their sin. And in doing this, they had despised the riches of His goodness. They had despised His forbearance and holding off judgment, His long-suffering and not bringing an immediate judgment into their life. They had failed to understand that the goodness of God is not a blank check for sin. The goodness of God does not give us license to sin. The goodness of God does not excuse sin. The goodness of God does not overlook sin. Paul wanted to bring a, a fundamental shift into their mind regarding God's goodness. And we, in our culture today, we kind of need that sort of a a shift as well. Rather than God's goodness ignoring or excusing sin, what we see in Scripture is that the goodness of God leads us to repent of our sin. God's goodness leads us to repent of our sin, I believe, for a couple of reasons. One is the mere fact the holy God of the universe is willing to forgive our sins. I mean, the, the just... God who, who we have sinned against, the mere fact He is willing to forgive us, to cleanse us, to restore us, that He would send Jesus to die in our place, should all on its own make us, particularly as believers, rush to repent of our sin. But I, I believe that this verse, the goodness leading us to repentance, for believers this should be the main reason we repent. But believers, reason to repent should probably not be that God is going to break our legs or he is going to send us to hell. Our reason for repentance is the fact that we have sinned against a good God who has loved us with an everlasting love, who has sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And he has wooed us and he has called us and he has Put up with us and our rejection, our refusal, our putting Him off, And the fact that He still calls should lead us to deeply run and repent to Him because of how good He is. Also, there there is an element, I think, that we would think about how good the God is we've sinned against. How how good He has been to us. All that, that He has done for us just be like, man, I'm sorry, I just cannot believe I sinned against you after all you've done for me, all you've done in me, in my life. But the goodness of God should lead us as believers to repent. And then finally, God's goodness is shown to all people. God isn't just good to certain people, which is what would make sense, but he's not. In various ways, God shows His goodness to all people everywhere. In Acts chapter 17, we're told that even though the nations went their own way, God never left them without a witness of His existence and His goodness. A part of this witness was rain and harvest in the proper seasons, as well as joy in their lives. And all of this was meant to make them say, there is a God, and that they would reach out for Him and they would take hold of His promises. Right? That goes along with what James says in James 1 and 17 that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of Lights with whom there is no turning, no, no variableness. Right? So anybody anywhere in the world that has something good in their lives, that is a gift from God. Anything we have that is I mean. It's interesting when you look at this in Scripture, and we don't have time to look at all of the things that we could talk about. But people would say, well, okay, I have, I have money and I have stuff, but that's not a gift from God. I, I went to college and I, I learned a skill or I, I learned and I got this job by my own merits. And yet, when you go to the Old Testament, we find things like God gives us the ability to create wealth. Right? So God is the one who gives us the ability to do the stuff that we do to create the money and the stuff that we have. Right? I mean, it's God that, that put us in the families that we're in, the nation that we're in, the timing that we're in. I mean, there is nothing that we can look at in our lives and say, I did that by my own skill, by my own ability. Had God not given us the ability to do those things, we could not have done that. So everything we have in life that is good, it is a gift of God. God's goodness or God's good gifts, it is to cause the lost to wonder in a world of chaos, in a world of random chance and circumstance, where does goodness come from? It is to cause believers To look at the good things that we have and just lift our hands and lift our hearts. And praise and worship the God who has given us such good things. God is good and that is a fundamental truth that we know about goodness. Secondly, we are to be good to our enemies. And and it's interesting, right? Because in each one of these, they have sort of in some ways tied into our enemies. Isn't it interesting? How God wants us to live differently than the world. And so all of these are tied in. Right? Like Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to them. Lend, hoping for nothing. Again, and your reward shall be great. You shall be children of the Most High. For His kind to the unthankful and the evil. I mean, it's one thing to be, to be good like God is good. To, to treat people like God wants us to treat them. It's different to treat people. To be good to people we may not like. That's a little more complicated. But for me at least. I find it brutally difficult. The concept of being good. To those. Who are my enemies. Who actively seek to do things. Against me. I mean that is so contrary. To my nature. My wiring. That. That is not who I am. At like a molecular, natural level. That is not who I am. And as I was thinking about this, I was again struck by how radically different Jesus calls on us to live. You know, the the way that we live, if you think about it, the way that we live as believers should not make a lot of sense to unbelievers. Because unbelievers, they can understand do good to those who do good to you, can't they? I mean, everybody understands that. Unbelievers can probably understand do good to people you don't like, but really don't do bad things to you. Okay, I mean, we live in a society and we can't just go around throat punching everybody just because we don't like them. So, yeah, I'll do good to these people. They haven't done anything to me. Okay, I can understand that. But do good to those who hate us. That's, I mean, there's nothing in our world that's like that, is there? There's nothing in our world that is that way. It is contrary to everything in our culture. And it's not just American culture. It's, it's contrary to, to the world. So when we live that way, the unbelievers will see it and they will say, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you be good to, to them or to me after all that we do? Right? And that, that confusion, that not making sense, I believe that's the point. Our lives should not make sense to unbelievers in that way. We can't fall into the trap of just being good to those who we like, or those who are good to us. For to follow Jesus and follow His example, we, we must be good to our enemies. And, and we must make an intentional effort to do it. Just as our Heavenly Father is good to everyone. As hard as it may be to do. Followers of Jesus are meant to be good. In our attitude, our actions, speech, everything to everyone. Even our enemies. So God is good. We are to be good to our enemies. And this ties in with it to an extent. But we are to overcome evil with good. Now that makes sense, right? I mean... In our logical minds, overcome evil with good makes sense. And it makes sense until we look at Romans 12.21 and how we're to overcome evil with good. So turn with me to Romans 12. We're going to start in verse 21, 866. We have the Pew Bible. Romans 12, 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a powerful verse. It makes sense. Um, you think about a lot of the, like the really good stories of our time, action movies or books. And that's kind of what they're about, isn't it? I mean, it's about overcoming evil with good. Think about like the Lord of the Rings series. I like those books and the movies. The, the thrust of it is overcoming evil with good, but, In those movies, how do you overcome evil with good? You have more powerful magic, you have a bigger sword, you have a bigger army, you fight them to the death and you overcome them. Or or World War II. World War II is is essentially what? It's about overcoming evil with good. But again, how do you do it? You, You do it by killing more of their guys than they kill of ours until they give up. But how does the Bible call on us to overcome evil with good? Well, look up at verse 17 because this is the, it all goes together. Verse 17, it says, recompense or repay to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Right, so, so don't get even is essentially what he's saying, right? If someone does something to you, don't do something back to them. Um, And I like the phrase, provide things honest in the sight of all men. Here's what I take from that. The world has an expectation of how believers are supposed to live and act. Whether it's right or wrong, it's not the point of this, this particular story. But they do, right? So if Scott and I work together, and Scott's an unbeliever, and he cusses me and lets air out of my tires and does something to my desk every day, and then one day I've had enough, and I punch him in the throat. What is the office full of people who knows I'm a Christian and he's not? What are they going to say? I don't think that was very cross Right? Isn't that what they're going to do? No matter what he's done, how often he's done it, the unbelieving world is going to be like, well, I don't think Jesus would punch anybody in the throat like that. And so part of what Paul's saying is, don't get even because no matter what the unbelieving world has done, it's not going to look right. It is not going to be right and just in the sight of all, right? All. Not, not those who are going to be like, well, Stacey Scott totally had it coming. No, what is right and just in the sight of all men. And so, it goes, jump down to verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. But rather give place to wrath, for it is is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So avenge not yourselves. Again, don't get even, but give place to wrath. Now that's not talking about our wrath, that's talking about God's wrath. That's the point of the rest of the verse. As it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So if someone does something to me or does something to you, whose job is it to get even with them? It's not mine, it's not yours, it's God's. Now think about like David. When David, when Absalom rebelled against him. And David is fleeing the city. And there's a Benjamite who who calls down curses on David and makes fun of him. And and the sons of, of Abishai, they want to kill him. And David says, no. No, don't. For who knows if God sent him. And if God sees that I'm being unjustly punished here, then God will get even with you. Right? That's kind of the picture here. Someone does something to us, the world is going to say, you you ought to to punch them in the throat. You ought to get even with them. You ought to do it. And our response is meant to be, well, no. No, if God sees fit that they need to be punished for what they've said or what they've done, God will get them. It's not my job. Um, former pastor at the First Baptist Church, Derek Cox, used this passage at a Thanksgiving service one year, which was not a very thanksgiving message, but it was great. Uh, but he made a statement that I've never forgotten. He said, if you hold a grudge, you don't trust the judge. Uh, and, and that's the reality of what this statement is. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Right? He'll get even with them with what they need. And so if I say, well, no, I, I have to do it. I have to follow through with this. What I'm saying is I don't trust God will do what God has said He will do. It's a lack of faith on my part every time I get even. Now, who besides me finds that a deeply convicting thought? Right? Who Who besides me? I mean, again, I, I've, I've mentioned before, we're as a Ross. Rosses aren't really known for their turn-the-other-cheek mentality. That's not who we are, um, And yet, that's what Scripture says we're supposed to be. This is not my nature. But it is supposed to be my new nature. To leave it in God's hands. But it doesn't just stop at not getting even. Right? He goes on. Therefore, if who? Thine enemy. Hunger. Laugh at him. No. Sadly, that's not what it says. Feed him. If he thirst, drink in front of him and tell him how good the water is. No, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heat coals of fire on his head. So according to Scripture, not only are we not to get even, that's good, but that's not enough. We are to actively do good to those who are doing bad against us. If our enemy's hungry, we're supposed to feed them. If our enemy's thirsty, we're supposed to give them something to drink. And I think a, a picture would be if they lack the basic necessities of life, which is what food and water is. We're supposed to help them if we can. And how hard is that? How how crazy different from the world is this line of thought? And yet, this is what we're supposed to do. And we sin. We sin. Every time we do something other than this, and he says, in so doing, we heap we coals of fire on their head now there 's a lot of ideas about what coals of fire means. It could mean about how they, they begin to feel guilty about how they've acted but have you ever uh, have you ever been mean to somebody and they were nice to you and you felt like a big jerk afterwards? you probably haven't I have. Right? So that could be a, very well be a meaning of it, or if they start to, if it could be they start to lose honor in front of others, right? Because I mean, people they do kind of like the bickering and the back and forth, but there does come a point to where people are like, dude, let it go, right? So again, with Scott, because Scott's the mean one, if he's constantly doing stuff to me and I'm not getting even, I'm not doing anything back. At some point, most people are gonna be like it gosh let it go he's not playing he's not doing it just stop so it could mean that they begin to lose honor and if you've ever seen that happen the person who begins to lose that honor they get embarrassed they get angry it kind of makes things worse for them in their own heart in their own mind uh, it, it could also mean that it angers them because they can't get the kind of response from you that they want Um I mean, people do stuff for a reason. They like to get a rise out of us, don't they? They like to see poke the bear and watch the bear yell and scream and cuss. And when the bear doesn't do that, it's really disappointing. So that could be what it means. And it could also mean they begin to wonder, why aren't you acting like I think you ought to act? Because if you did the things to me I've done to you, I wouldn't just sit there and take it like you do. I wouldn't bring me a coat to work. I wouldn't bring me a sandwich. I wouldn't do what you've done. Why? Why do you act the way you act? And it would give us an opportunity to talk to, to them about Jesus. And then that brings us back to verse 21 where we started. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. When people do evil to us and we respond with evil in kind, Evil has conquered us. That's what he's saying. When I respond to people and do to them what they've done to me, I let their evil conquer me. But instead of doing that, if I do not get even, and I give place to God's wrath, and I trust in His vengeance, and I do good to them, then I am overcoming their evil. With good. And that is what we're supposed to do. The goodness the Holy Spirit produces in us. Enables us to overcome evil. With good. And then finally the final truth. Is that we can be full of goodness. I wanted to end with this because. All of this can sound. Over the top. That's not real. We can't possibly do that. Right. Because. Because. Again, with with what we just talked about in Romans, who who naturally acts that way? Not me. And so to look at that and say, that's how we are supposed to be, can be one of those things that we say, yeah, I I can see where that's how you're supposed to be, but that's just not real. I mean, there is no way. I mean, there might be somebody somewhere who could act like that. There's no way I could. And yet, Scripture says, uh, and I myself... Also, I'm persuaded of you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. So, what that says is, we can be full of God's goodness. But all, all of this stuff that we've just talked about can be actively, honestly in our lives. This isn't just a a pie in the sky. Wouldn't it be great if we all acted like that? That is a reality of not only how it should be, but how it can be. We can overcome evil with good. We can be good to our enemies. We can emulate the goodness of God to some extent in the world around us so that people will see us and they will know God is good. We can because we can be full of, of goodness. So what do we do? But How do we develop this in our lives? Well first. Live with constant spiritual growth. And I talked about this last week. Um, and at least one more week before that. And we'll probably talk about it again. Before this is all said and done. But this is a constant. That we have to do. It says. I. For this very reason, give all diligence to add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge. Now, the word goodness isn't referenced there, but the word virtue is. And a part of what virtue means is moral excellence, moral strength, moral courage, or moral goodness. Right? In fact, the, the New Living Translation says moral excellence there, and the, new, the NIV says goodness there. Right? So, a part of what we're going to have to do in order to, to do these things, Is we have to grow spiritually. But I I can't stay that newborn babe in Christ and do these things. Instead, I have to to give all diligence to add to my faith. I have to do whatever it takes to make these things positive and make these things begin to be developed in my life. Spiritual growth takes effort on our part. It's not automatic. Just because we've been saved for 22 years doesn't mean we are spiritually mature, spiritually grown. We can be 22 years as a Christian and be no more spiritually developed and spiritually mature than we were two weeks after we were saved. We have to put forth the effort to grow. So live a life that is constant with spiritual growth. Secondly, live the difference Jesus has made in our lives. It is, to me, tremendously important that we always know that while salvation changes our eternal destiny, it changes our lives here on earth as well. Jesus is not fire insurance against the judgments of hell. Like, he doesn't take that off the table, but leave us alone in this life to do how we will. Instead, He not only takes hell off the table, He changes us and makes us new. Uh, and we'll, we looked at this in the last time we were in Ephesians, and we'll look at it again a little bit this Sunday. But, so I'll just quickly reference it because it's a great passage. You were sometimes darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And the key thing for tonight is we were one thing, but now we're something else. And what made the change, if you remember from the context of Ephesians 5, was we came to know Jesus. We were darkness, and then we met Jesus, and He filled us with His life and with His light. And that's not just like a a metaphorical thing. That's not just a cool way of saying that we're now saved. Because the life and the life that He gives us, it does something legitimate in our lives. There is a, a fruit from this. And that fruit is in goodness and righteousness and truth. So as Christians, those who have been born again, there is a, the goodness we have talked about should be something that is bubbling up within us because Jesus has changed our nature. And the Spirit of God is living within us, seeking to produce this. If we profess faith in Jesus, but we are no different, we should always wonder if we're truly saved. Because if the God of the universe, Sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. And He rose from the dead. And we believed in that. And the Bible says, He came to live in our hearts. And the Spirit of God comes to live within us. How could that not change us? How, how could that not make our lives different? It has to. And part of the way... The difference is seen. It's this goodness. It may be slow. But it should be something that is coming in our lives. And then thirdly, live surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Again, we talk about this every week, but it's something that we, we always have to, to understand. This is a part of it. The fruit of the Spirit is in the goodness and light that Jesus has placed within us fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Then I can say without a shadow of a doubt, no question, the goodness that we talked about here, those are all God's will. Right? Can't we say that? From what we've looked at in Scripture, from what we've seen in Ephesians about now that we're saved and that the Holy Spirit produces, couldn't you say that to reflect the goodness of God in measure is absolutely God's will for your life and mine as a believer. Right? Yes. And and absolutely we can say, being good to my enemies, that is God's will for my life and yours. Absolutely. And it, it is God's will for my life and yours for we to overcome evil with good. That is God's will for my life and yours. I mean, there's no question, there's no doubt. We don't have to pray or fast or read a book. We know Absolutely, 100%, without fail, God's will. And it is God's will that we would be full of goodness. So, the Holy Spirit is actively working to produce this in our lives. So what do we have to do? Well, we go back to verse 16 and 17. This I say, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would. So in in a moment of someone doing something, a moment of life where I am tempted to do bad when there's an opportunity to do good. Which one is God's will? Well, the good is. So what do I have to do in that moment? I have to resist the flesh. Because it's never the Spirit leading me to do anything that's not good. So I have to resist the flesh and submit to the Spirit. I have to, to do what He is leading me to do. And that is, I think, the challenge. Because this isn't a, I'm praying and I'm surrendering my life right now. Holy Spirit, I surrender to You. Produce the fruit of goodness in my life now and forever. That's not the test. The test is tomorrow. When you go out amongst the people and the people aren't good and the people are triggering you to the point that you don't want to be good. You don't want to reflect the goodness of God. You don't want to be good to your enemies. You don't want to let wrath give God's place to wrath and let Him take care of it. And in that moment, what will we do? Will we resist the Spirit and surrender to the flesh and act like the world? Or will we resist the flesh and surrender to the Spirit and act like Jesus? See, that's the thing. That's what we have to do. Look at verse 25 of Galatians 5 here. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Now, walk in the Spirit there, it pictures... Scott and Melissa, you'll like this, soldiers in a parade, sailors in a parade. How does Jacob do if he's offbeat from his fellow sailors? Does he keep his job? No, the job is to do what everyone else does at the time everyone else doesn't. So what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? It means that when He moves us to do good, we do good. That we step when He steps, we act when He acts, we do what He would have us to do. We withhold when He would have us to withhold. And it is not a once for all decision. I wish to goodness it was. Again, think about if you've ever watched some of the videos that Scott and Melissa have shared of Jacob's team as they travel. He doesn't keep in step with them in one moment. He has to keep in step with them throughout an entire routine. As they walk in, as they do their routine, as they walk out, everybody has to be perfectly in sync the entire time. And it is forever. We walk in sync with the Spirit, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. We have to live, surrender to the Holy Spirit. And if we are not willing to resist that flesh that says get even, be mean, be hateful, be like the world, we will never, never, never be filled with the goodness of the Holy Spirit that He is trying to produce in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You tonight. You are great and awesome. You are worthy.